G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. This is by far the most difficult thing about being a Christ follower. Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome to another episode of Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining me. The early church was a vibrant and exciting place to be. In this episode, Pastor Jeff will share more about the transformation in the early church. The early church was a group of believers known as the Ecclesia, who gathered together with an expectation that they would also meet with God. So let's get into this message now, all about the Ecclesia, here on Today with Jeff Vines. Here is why I wanted to begin uh, with this. Folks, this is, this is very difficult for us to grab, very hard for us to deny that this reality takes place in the human experience, but very difficult sometimes to explain, and that is this. There is no doubt that the people who have suffered the most in our world end up being the people who accomplish the greatest feats. The people who have suffered the most end up accomplishing the greatest feats. I could give you a list after list after list. Corey Ten Boom, Joni Erickson Tata, Beethoven writes some of his greatest work after he loses his hearing. James Simpson, the discoverer of chloroform. I could go on and on. Jonas Salk, who discovers a cure for polio. On and on of people who have suffered the greatest have accomplished the most. Now listen, I think that Somehow in the Western church, we lost the plot somewhere. That those early Christians came together and they were called the ecclesia, the fellowship. That word translated does not stand for church. That's an institution. They were not an institution. They were a group of believers who came together. And they expected that when they prayed, God would move and do tremendous things, awesome things. They came together And there was an expectation. By the way, when is the last time you walked into this place and you thought, wow, I can't wait to see what God is going to do? They prayed together. They encouraged each other. They loved each other. They worshiped together because they knew what Jesus had told a woman at the well, that the day will come when people will worship in spirit and in truth. Truth being, you can't earn your place before the throne of grace. It's something that's given to you as a gift because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to worship him in truth, that you haven't earned the right. It's been given to you. And to worship him in spirit, 
The Christians understood that Jesus promised something that no one had before, no one had ever after, that the Spirit of God would be placed in you. And when you worship him in truth and spirit, the spirit that God has placed in you communicates deep calling deep. And God knows the desires of your heart before you even ask them. But there's something special that happens when you begin to pray, when you begin to worship. Your eyes are open and you see the world as it really is. And you see God as he really is. And all of a sudden you discover things in your life that should not be there. Things that should be in your life that are not there. Your eyes are open and worship and prayer and the expectation that God will move. That's the way the first church was. And God did awesome things. Now, that's the good news. This is the hardest part about being a Christ follower. If you're new here, I got good news for you. You've come on the Sunday that you're going to learn the most difficult part about being a Christ follower. So nothing watered down for you at all here. You're going to get it right from the get-go. This is by far the most difficult thing about being a Christ follower. It's easy in, for us in the sense that Jesus died for our sins and God asked us just to admit in humility that we're sinners, all of us, you, me, everybody, and that without his grace and forgiveness on the cross of Jesus, we cannot come into community with him. But with the cross, we're there. Now that's easy in the sense for us, not for the son of God, but for us, we receive the gift of grace. But here comes the hard part because here's the third thing they expected when they came together. Not only did they expect God to move in the midst of their prayer and to do great things, not only did they expect their eyes to be open as they began to worship and God would show them their life as it really is, they expected when they came together to be transformed. They believed that the Spirit of God would change them. I mean, really change them. They'd see things they'd never seen before. They'd see God and his movement and activity in the world and in their lives. They would feel things they'd never felt before. They would feel God's presence. I mean, don't you long to be in a church when you walk in, it's like God is surely in this place and you're just overwhelmed with that, that they would see things they had not seen, feel things they have not felt. They'd be able to do things they had not done before, that there'd actually be a power within them to live that abundant life, to be more than conquerors. To live the abundant life Jesus came to bring. But here's the, here, that's the good news. Here's the bad news. They knew how God went about transforming them. One of the most popular passages in the New Testament church is Jeremiah 18. Here's what it says. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O Israel." Now, if you know anything about your Bible, you'll know that we are now the new Israel. Romans chapter one and verse, uh, Romans chapter one and chapter two say very clearly that the true Jew is not one that is circumcised of the flesh, but one that has been circumcised of the heart. That we are now the people of God, 
and the people of God are clay in the hands of the potter. Now you tell me that's not an intimidating metaphor. In case you missed it, let me explain it to you. I actually called a potter this week, and I called the potter and I asked him questions, and I want to tell you what he said. I said, first of all, when you put the clay onto the wheel, do you have a pattern in mind? He says, oh yeah, there is a masterpiece in our mind before we even start. And so the first thing we do is wet the clay. I thought that was interesting. We take the clay and we wet it. And then now we put it on the potter's wheel and we start to shape and form it. I said, well, does it always take the shape you want it to? He said, seldom will it start to take the shape. It's almost, he said, as if that the clay does not want to be on the potter's wheel. Does that sound familiar? I said, well, what do you do? He says, you keep trying to shape and form it. How often does it happen? Very seldom. So what do you do? He said, well, after a long period, if you can't shape and form it, if the clay is not cooperating, he told me that they engage in a process called wedging, not wedgie, (laughs) wedging. Wedging is where you take the clay off the potter's wheel and you slam it onto the ground. And then you flatten it and you pick it back up and put it back on the wheel and start again. Do I even need to make an analogy? (laughs) Now, here's why I say this. The early church, the way they looked at pain and suffering and disappointment in life, totally different than the way you and I look at it. We're from the West. We expect to have an easy, peaceful life. We don't like pain of any kind, any nature. I mean, we don't even like waiting in line for a long time at Chick-fil-A. I mean, the new one's open, but who goes, really? Because you have to wait too long. Well, obviously, some people go. They're the patient ones. You don't like it when you have a toothache. I mean, when you, when you have muscle aches and pains, that's why we have so much medication, man, to make sure that we live an easy, comfortable life. So that when things bad happen, whatever they are, we're like shocked. And there's a part of us that in the West that believes that when bad things come, that God has abandoned us. Think about it. Job's not going well. Economy's tough. Marriage isn't going well. And you pray, your children are running astray. And you think you, the first thought to God is, God, I prayed. Why have you abandoned me? The first church, they weren't like that at all. Part of the reason was because they understood the power of something I've said a thousand times from the stage that because of the cross, we know it is possible to be in the absolute worst predicament of your life and be in the very center of the will of God. That's called the cross. When was Jesus most in the center of the will of his father? When he was dying for your sins and mine. For the joy set before him, for the glory that would come after he endured the cross. But there was something else. James, the brother of Jesus, had written something that was very popular in the early church. And it went like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Then he goes on to say, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The first Christians believed with all of their hearts that when pain, suffering, disappointment, whatever it is, came into your life, it wasn't that God had abandoned you. It was that the potter was putting the clay on the potter's wheel in order to shape a masterpiece. 
It was long before we got into the theological debates whether or not what is sent by God and what is allowed by God. They weren't talking about those things yet. They knew that suffering was part of this world. Now, I'm not saying for a minute we should glorify it. I'm not saying, boy, we should be glad when we enter in pain and suffering. It's easy for me to talk about pain and suffering when I'm not in pain and suffering. Let me tell you, in the middle of my anxiety, it wasn't so easy for me to talk about how we should embrace pain and suffering. Because when we're in it, we want out of it. But the early Christians believed that evil and pain and suffering was so complex that all they knew with certainty was that God was the potter and they were the clay. And when pain and suffering came into their lives, they weren't like you and me asking the question, why has God abandoned us? They were saying this, is God creating a masterpiece? Is God creating something down deep inside that comes from a very special place that's going to be astounding? And they knew that if they were going to be involved in transforming the world, that they got to be willing to let God transform them first. They knew that if they wanted the whole world to be the clay on the potter's will, that they had to be willing, first of all, to be the clay on the potter's will, that he might be able to create a masterpiece. Now, if I, I could stop there and it would be somewhat good news, but still that metaphor is a little bit a little bit daunting, isn't it? Think about it. You're the clay and you know, God reserves the right to smash you if you don't cooperate. That's kind of intimidating. Some people say, wait, hold on a minute. That's not the God I believe in, a God that would smash you. Well, that's because you don't know the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is like a father. And a father disciplines his children when they go off the past. At, at least a father who loves his children in order that they will ultimately lead to destruction. So this is the second part the early church believed. It took me a long time to grapple with this, so I hope to do it in about six minutes here. They understood that God had a plan A and a plan B for every life. Now, let me show you what plan A is for every life, according to the early church. It's when God says to us, come let us reason together. And Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. This is plan A. Plan A for your life is every time you come into this place, you hear the word of God proclaimed. Every time you open up your devotional, every time you read your Bible, this is plan A. This is God saying to you, go this way. Get rid of those things. Don't continue down that path. Plan A, God hopes, will work with you. Every time you hear the word, this is the way you should go. There's plan B though. Now let me give you a few examples of plan A first, all right? Here's plan A. Uh, Jonah, go to Nineveh and love all people. <laughs> plan A. Nebuchadnezzar, you better be humble because you did not create this kingdom. This kingdom comes from me. Be humble. David, Bathsheba does not belong to you. That's plan A. Now, God hopes with great patience that we listen to plan A. You, you got it, right? Stop that addiction. Stop looking at pornography. Stop using your sexuality that way. Start honoring me with your stuff. Continue to walk a path that honors God. Follow the word of God in your relationships. The way you use your body, the way you use your stuff. Make sure you're not building your own kingdom, but you're building God's kingdom. Don't cheat on your wife. Don't cheat on your husband. And don't continue in shady business deals. And whatever you do, stop lying to yourself that it's okay to do the wrong thing to achieve the right things. That's plan A. Knock it off is plan A. 
Plan B, God sends a big fish to swallow Jonah. <laughs> Plan B, Nebuchadnezzar ends up in the wilderness like a madman eating locusts and honey and all kinds of insects, long fingernails and long hair, loses his mind, goes to insanity. That's plan B. Plan B, David's kingdom falls apart and he loses his own son. The thing about plan A is God's so patient. I mean, he wants plan A to work, but if it doesn't, he reserves the right to move to plan B to smash you and put you back on the potter's wheel. And the reason is, is because God is not willing to settle for anything less than a masterpiece. Now, I just want you to know that we can't move forward and we can't finish this series until you understand that. Yes, God loves you. Of course he does. Yes, God wants what's best for you. Of course he does. But you are the clay in the potter's hands. And he has the sovereign right to mold and shape you into a masterpiece. And what I'm saying to you is there's something way down deep inside all of us, the real us, the us that is capable of doing things that's beyond imagination, the real us that is unique where nobody else is like us, the real us that God can use to do immeasurably more than we could ever hope for, ask for, or imagine. And that real us often comes to the surface through pain or suffering or a set of unfortunate circumstances where the potter takes the clay onto the potter's wheel and begins to shape and to mold. The early church knew that when those times came, it was either God's way of correcting them because he loves those he corrects, or perfecting them. Maybe they weren't on the right path. They just had a few rough edges that he needed to iron out. And so they always saw God, somebody who loved them, but wanted them to live the extraordinary life. That's the early church. Now, the best way I can give you this, I've got an illustration that I've used many times, and that's the thing pastors do. They get a good illustration. They just beat it into the ground. It's just... It's a gift, really. Uh, and it's, it's for the sake of a better one, but I want to use it to kind of, this kind of says what I've been trying to say. My daughter, I go back to her little goldfish in her goldfish bowl, and the family goes on vacation, and uh, this little goldfish had an eye that got infected. And so when that happens, the other goldfish come and try to eat at the eye, and will eat the eye, eat the flesh, and will kill the fish. And I knew Sian would not be happy if she came back from vacation and her fish was dead. So I had to do what? I had to get the fish out of the aquarium, quarantine it in a separate bowl of water. The problem is, as soon as I reach my hands down to try to save this fish, the fish thinks what? I'm trying to kill it. And the problem is I don't speak fish. And so this thing's running round, 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 round. I'm thinking this little fish is going to have a heart attack and die. And I'm trying to save his life, her life, its life, whatever. <laughs> I take my hands, I, pull, I finally get this goldfish out, put it in a separate bowl, and do you know, not one time did that fish thank me. <laughs> not one time. I saved its life. That's exactly the way we are with God. We think God has sent something or allowed something that's trying to kill us. He's trying to save us. He's trying to save us. We're on the potter's wheel, and he is shaping the clay so that the masterpiece might come. Daniel 4. Here is Nebuchadnezzar's words after he came back to his senses. Notice what he says. 
At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. Did you see that? He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold his hand back or say to him, what have you done? He's saying that when those difficult times as a believer come into your life, you can't say, God, what do you think you're doing? Because God knows what he's doing. He is the potter and you are the clay and he's shaping and molding you to greatness. Now, for some of you, you haven't been baptized yet to confess Jesus before men that he might confess you before the Father. That is a clear biblical principle. Sometime in your life, you've got to be willing to come out of the closet and to understand there's no such thing as a closet Christian. That the Christ follower confesses the name of Jesus before God and man. And Jesus says, I'll confess you before the Father. The problem is so many of us believe that if we get baptized, we got to be perfect from now on. But you're missing the point. The fact that you're baptized is an outward demonstration that you believe that you could never be perfect and you could never earn right with God, that only through the cross of Jesus Christ can you be made right with God and can the masterpiece come out. And because of that, you're willing to say in front of God, man, and everybody else, I depend on the cross totally for the forgiveness of my sin. Therefore, I want to be baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection, dying to my old way, being resurrected to my new. And you know that it's a day-by-day battle against the flesh to live the godly life. But without the cross of Christ and the power of Christ in you, you have no hope. And there are others of you that are suffering and you need prayer desperately. So I did this last night and it wasn't in my notes and I was kind of proud of myself because you're coming to the pot, to the pool, or to prayer. Do you notice the three Ps? That was really clever. (laughs) See, the pot, the pool, the prayer. I really liked that last night. It's quite easy to impress myself sometimes. (laughs) We're going to stand. I'm going to pray. And I, I pray that God would move you to come if you've not been baptized, that you would do that now. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. I I thank you for this great analogy of the potter and the clay. Forgive us where we kick against you. Forgive us where we simply don't want to be on the potter's wheel. I pray that there would be an eye-open experience right now in this room if we really want to become the masterpiece that you have created us to be. There has got to be a point in our life where we allow you to put us on the wheel, shape, mold and form us without us constantly saying that you've abandoned us, but instead we are right in the center of your will because you'll settle for nothing less than a masterpiece. I pray for those who never committed to you in baptism, that they would understand the importance of baptism to you and to us and to ourselves, knowing that now we have stood before our brothers and sisters, before God and the world and said, I need forgiveness to the cross and I can never become the masterpiece God's called me to become until I submit to his power, his grace, and his mercy. That's my prayer. As the Spirit moves over this place in Jesus' name, amen. The Potter 
and the clay. It's a strong analogy, being moulded into the masterpiece God wants us to be. I hope and pray that this message from Pastor Jeff has motivated you to commit your life to Jesus. If you don't know how to take that step, connect with your local pastor or your local church or reach out to this radio station. Thanks again for joining me. I look forward to your company next time on Today with Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.